Hey, it's Coach Freddie here, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and welcome to the IHAMP Revolution, where we'll be discussing the benefits of growing and using industrial hemp for people, planet, and profit. Conversations about the history, legalization, farming, harvesting, processing, building, manufacturing, investing, and how industrial hemp can benefit people's lives, heal the planet, and how it can be used to make thousands of products, boost the economy, and business. So are you ready to join the iHemp revolution? My guest today is Boris Sharansky. Boris was born in Moscow, Russia, and came to the U.S. by way of Israel, and has lived in Iowa since he was three. He is now CEO of Heartland Hemp Company, Vice President of Continuous Control Solutions, and a member of the National Hemp Association and Medicinal Hemp Association. Boris has been interested in hemp therapy since he was diagnosed with arthritis in 2010. He lives in Des Moines, Iowa with his wife Karen and his daughter Katrina. So Boris, welcome to the iHemp Revolution. Thank you for having me, Coach Freddie. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure having you. So uh, can you give us a little bit more background about yourself and how you got started in industrial hemp and maybe a little background uh, before you got started? Oh, absolutely. Um, well, it, it's it, it's an interesting path in life that brought me uh, to working with industrial hemp. Um, I actually, this is a small tidbit of information, I recently found out from my mother that my grandfather in the Soviet Union, after they prohibited the growth of the cannabis plant, continued to grow hemp uh, because that was their pr- principal source of seed and fiber and cooking oils in the small villages in Russia. Um, so I thought it's kind of a full circle for me. But my uh, professional career started uh, very differently. Um, I started on Wall Street working in finance, um, working in investment banking, basically. Um, I did that for about a year, right around uh, the time of the Wall Street crashes of Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns in 2008. Uh, for a variety of reasons, um, including the fact that I didn't believe I was really helping contribute to business growth or or, or developing any new business ideas. Rather, we were just buying and selling debt. Um, I left and, and I started, I joined a company that was a startup company in South America, um, servicing the oil and gas industry. So, uh, I worked in various capacities there, um, business development, sales, uh, day to day, uh, investor relations, uh, a number of financial and business roles. Um, but uh, after about four years, uh, having made a number of connections down there within the industry, I was invited back to Iowa, where I grew up. Uh, my brother and my father were running a company with some partners uh, focused on engineering um, software that is also sold to the oil and gas industry. So since I was already involved in that beforehand, uh, um, I had some connections in South America as well as around the world. Uh, and I started uh, in business development and sales there. So again, none of this speaks to hemp. However, one big takeaway I did have um, from those eight years or now nine years in the oil and gas industry uh, is the incredible economic potential of processing. So uh, processing for fuel, of processing uh, materials for plastics, of processing for polymers. I mean, there's entire areas of the southwest and southern United States that are dedicated to these types of plants. Uh, the Koch brothers come to mind, owning a number of them around the country in Canada. Uh, and the same was true in South America. Um, so 
that did give me a nice background to the large-scale production, which will be necessary in the future of the hemp industry. Uh, but more personally, about five years ago when I did come down, or six years ago now when I came to back to Iowa and joined my, uh, my family's company, I was also diagnosed with uh, psoriatic arthritis. So I've had psoriasis, which if people know about that, it's a skin condition. Uh, it's an autoimmune disorder, actually, that manifests itself on the skin uh, through dry skin and scaly skin. Um, and in 30% of uh, cases, it develops into psoriatic arthritis. Uh, and so I developed psoriatic arthritis, um, lots of pain, lots of swelling in my joints, uh, fingers, toes, uh, knees, shoulders, um, debilitating pain. Sometimes I couldn't even move, get off. I just have to sleep on the floor because I couldn't even get up off the floor. Um, you know, pretty nasty stuff. Uh, and eventually my doctor, a rheumatologist, suggested uh, a couple of different drugs, <clears throat> methotrexate and sulfasalazine. Uh, to start me off, uh, and those were, first of all, fairly expensive, but more importantly, uh, they had just a laundry list of complications and possible cancer risk and tuberculosis and pneumonia, and it basically shuts down your immune system. And that's really what prompted me to start looking for other solutions. And eventually I came to CBD, uh, and, and the more I learned about CBD, the more I learned that you know, it was as abundant in hemp as it is in medical cannabis. In fact, it's more abundant in hemp and uh, internationally in industrial hemp plants than it's actually available in the international cachet of medicinal cannabis plants. Um, and so that kind of started me down the road of uh, learning about hemp and CBD and cannabis, and, and that's kind of brought me where I am today, uh, which is CEO of the first hemp company in Iowa, um, and we've been operational for about two years now. So how did you and when did you get involved with the industrial hemp industry and why did you get involved with the industry itself? Well, uh, as we are talking about with my industrial background in the oil and gas industry especially, and then having discovered CBD um, and hemp, uh, I started looking into the debate in Iowa. I knew, you know, I, was, I started buying a hemp CBD um, product for myself. Uh, but then being here in Iowa, I was wondering, why aren't we researching it? Why aren't we looking into this? And I started uh, understanding, you know, I learned about the... 7606 in the Federal Farm Bill in 2014. Before that, obviously, I read The Emperor Wears No Clothes by Jack Herrera, and then I read Hempbound. Uh, and I started doing a lot of research into both medical cannabis as well as industrial hemp, the history of it. Uh, the history of industrial hemp as, as it applies to the United States is just incredible. And, and the reasons behind its prohibition in 1937 are, to say it very, you know, nicely, are suspect. Um, so, especially growing up in Iowa, I have, I've had a different perspective uh, on, on, on the cannabis market in general. I see the cannabis as a larger agricultural plant and an agricultural product, uh, not just for medicines, but for seed oil, for proteins, for industrial uses, for plastics, for biofuels, for ethanol. Uh, and really, we specialize in that in Iowa. Uh, and the more I looked at our processes, what it looked like we were doing, we were trying to squeeze orange juice out of a lemon by trying to squeeze all these industrial products out of one crop, which is corn. Uh, that monocrop culture devastated our soil, and it also didn't give us the most efficient results in terms of bioplastics and renewable fuels. And then I started looking at the hemp plant and seeing how does it compare to corn? How does it compare in terms of ethanol? Well, four times the biomass per acre than corn. Um, you can produce more gallons of ethanol from just the cellulose itself than you can from corn stover. Uh, the biofuel you can produce from the seed far surpasses what you can produce in terms of corn-based, corn-seed-based ethanol. And then I wonder, why aren't we growing it here? Why aren't we talking about it? 
Um, and in 2014, there was a CBD bill that was passed here in Iowa that allowed me to start talking to people and saying, hey, you know, we have a debate about medical cannabis and we have a very conservative legislature here that doesn't want to touch a program like a New Mexico medical cannabis program or a Colorado medical cannabis program. However, we have a very strong agricultural state. And why wouldn't they go for industrial hemp, which you can get, you can <clears throat> produce CBD from. And in fact, you can produce very high quality medicinal hemp extracts if grown under the right conditions. But you can also develop an entirely new industry and add a third crop that's very good for our soil quality in terms of soil aeration and, and, and mitigating topsoil erosion, um, sucking up toxins and, and um, uh, heavy metals and, and other types of excess nutrients in the soil, uh, as well as giving a third cash crop to our farmers that can get them away from GMO corn and soybeans. Um, so in terms of Iowa, you know, I saw the medical cannabis debate going one way, and then I, uh, but the, a lot of focus on CBD. And I thought, if there's so much focus on CBD, why shouldn't somebody be making the case for industrial hemp here in Iowa so we can grow, of course, CBD-based plants, but also everything else that we can use the hemp plant for? You know, when we met in, in Iowa there, uh, I know that you're involved in the Iowa Hemp Association there? Yeah, I'm one of the founding members. Tell us a little bit about that and maybe your membership now, and I know you had uh, two or three key members there. Yeah, uh, so the Iowa Hemp Association um, started, uh, it was an impetus of a, of a number of uh, advocates that found ourselves at the Capitol last year. Um, my, my partner and myself and in my company, Heartland Hemp, we were both, uh, we both registered as lobbyists and, you know, we don't have a ballot state here in Iowa, so the only way you can make changes is by lobbying your legislators. So we individually registered and we started going a few times a week and meeting with every single legislator we could possibly get our hands on. Um, and get our faces in front of and to talk about industrial hemp and the need for passing hemp legalization in Iowa. Uh, through that process, we met a number of other activists that were also very interested, and we learned and we found that, you know, aside from having to educate legislators, we needed their constituents to be calling them and letting them know, though, that they support industrial hemp and they support hemp uh, cultivation. So, as a result, we needed to have an organization that was dedicated to education. So we got together with a registered cannabis nurse, um, the uh, main, uh, you know one of the youngest member of the Democratic Caucus in Iowa, uh, who runs a number of political campaigns here in the last few years, and also myself and uh, uh, my partner uh, in Harlan Hemp Company, and we developed the Iowa Hemp Association, which is dedicated to uh, the education of the general population of Iowa about the benefits of industrial hemp. So we arrange what's called our Cultivating Opportunity Educational Series, and we go to small towns around Iowa, a lot of them that have been depressed by uh, dropping commodity prices and devastated soil, and we talk about the opportunity that hemp legalization will present in the hopes that they will then reach out to their local legislators so that by the time that we are at the Capitol and talking to different legislators about this issue, they've heard about it from their individual constituents. So you've been quite an activist there, I, I know. And how do you think that the hemp industry is doing right now? Well, in Iowa, it's not doing very well, to be honest with you. Um, we, we have a conservative mindset at the Capitol, and, and, and it's very difficult to break, uh, break that. In addition, we have very strong pharmaceutical interests, in addition to you know, DuPont and Monsanto-based uh, interests here that are not jumping on the hemp bandwagon. Uh, and we, you really need those types of people to jump on to get quick legislative change. 
Um, in terms of grassroots efforts, it's very difficult here. But we're, we're making the effort, and to be honest with you, two years ago, all of these guys didn't even know that hemp was different from marijuana. And, you know, just a couple weeks ago, we had a formal presentation to the House Agricultural Committee, and we're working on developing a study bill um, to pass hemp legislation either this year or next year. So, you know, we've come a long way in two years, but it's been a very much an uphill battle. In terms of the broader market, um, and nationally and internationally, you know, I think there's a lot of challenges, but I think it's a very, very exciting market. You know, there's no other uh, growing markets quite like the cannabis and hemp markets right now uh, because they're going through different regulations in different states and different countries around the world. Um, there's still so many unanswered questions in terms of interstate as well as international uh, shipping and business practices. Um, there's a huge opportunity here in the U.S., develop a locally certified and developed genetics. Uh, so right now we're relying so much on Canadian and European imported genetics that, you know, really we're actually crossbred from the 1940s government genetics that we shared with them, and then we shut down our, our hemp business, and they got to uh, develop their own seeds, and now we're buying those back. We really should be developing our own. Um, so I think there's tremendous opportunity in the hemp industry, However, I, um, like I told you and I wrote to you, I don't think that, you know, I don't buy on immediately to this hemp can save the world campaign. I think it's going to be um, difficult. We're fighting against, in terms of renewables, a very strong petrochemical and oil industry that I'm very familiar with, and they won't go down without a fight. In terms of supplying paper products and, and those types of things, we're fighting against a very strong timber industry um, where technologies have already been proven and already, you know, infrastructure is already set. And in the pharmaceutical side, we're fighting against very strong interest as well. And I'm directly, uh, I directly, I, I, I'm directly, I'm, I access that directly here in Iowa because I see all three of those fronts, the pharmaceutical, um, the, and the, and the industry, not so much the timber, but the pharmaceutical and the industrial side definitely, uh, pushing back against this topic. Um, so even once we have legalized hemp across the nation, competing against soy and corn and subsidies and dealing with that political process. It's going to be an uphill battle, uh, but it's an exciting battle at the same time. Uh, yes, you're right. There's a lot of powerful people out there. But the first challenge for us is to legalize industrial hemp on a federal level. Well, in terms of the politics of that, I don't, I'm, I'm not hopeful for this year. I, I don't know. It's, you know, I'm, I'm becoming more and more jaded with the political process uh, as I'm more and more involved in it. But, uh, we'll see what happens there. The The beauty of it, though, is that states that are taking advantage of 7606 and the Federal Farm Bill in 2014 are really reaping the benefits. You know, uh, Kentucky's doing well. Colorado is doing very well with their hemp program. Um, but we need it to be expanded. I mean, Canada is surpassing us in technological investment, in infrastructure, in farmed acres. Uh, and, you know, we got to get on ahead of the ball. Uh, what is the biggest benefit that industrial hemp can offer us. What do you think of that is? Um, honestly, I think it's the renewable fuels and renewable materials side. Um, you know, one thing that we've coined here, and a lot of people now are using it, I'm proud of that, is we want to replace the sheiks of the Middle East with, with the farmers of the Midwest. Uh, you know, right now, a lot of people are getting into CBD, and, and obviously the low-hanging fruit in the hemp industry is seeds and seed oil, seed cake. You know, if you're getting two bucks a pound, a thousand pounds an acre, that's two thousand dollars an acre. In farming terms, that's incredible. Um, so that's a low hanging fruit in the market. However, right now, what we're doing in this, in the ethanol industry, um, is wrong. 
we're only creating ethanol from a majority corn based uh, corn seed based which is a very complicated process that was developed in the 70s or the 80s by a Japanese scientist to actually create sugar from corn seed and we have to genetically modify the corn to get there um, nowadays we're doing it smarter and we've developed you know we have two cellulosic ethanol plants here in Iowa that are processing corn stover but that's really all because we have Monsanto and DuPont and, and I don't want to just point the big picture of you know finger in Monsanto big ag has a vested interest in selling corn and soy because these crops are very easy to genetically manipulate and once you do there they don't really there's not many variations in that one genetic line and so if you're just growing it for certain purposes like we do here in Iowa either feed corn or or, um, or ethanol or, or some kind of process uh, that you're going to put it into eventually it's a simple crop to work with and it's a simple crop to patent. Uh, hemp on the other side is a little bit more difficult because there's so many different products that are going to be coming out of it that patenting any one specific strain is very difficult and it's also not necessary. You don't have to add different genetics from different uh, animals into uh, hemp because it's naturally resistant to pests. It's naturally resistant to weeds because it outgrows them uh, and it grows just about anywhere uh, and is, is itself a, a cover crop. Uh, and as a result, hemp doesn't need that type of genetic manipulation. Um, so I think the, the ethanol side of hemp, uh, the cellulosic ethanol, you know, when compared to corn stover, like I talked about before, it grows a four times the biomass per acre than corn stover at the very least. It has, whereas corn stover cellulose level is at 50 or 60% cellulose, hemp is up to 75 or 80% cellulose. Breaking down the current process used to break down corn um, stover into cellulosic ethanol uh, involves a process where they convert it into pulp paper, uh, sugars, and lignans, and then those that pulp, well, not that, well, that pulp, is, I'm sorry, the cellulose is converted into sugar uh, with the corn stover, and then that sugar is converted into ethanol. And that conversion rate is about 65% right now. With hemp and hemp cellulose, you can get a conversion rate of about 99% from the pulp that you extract from the fiber, uh, converting that to sugar and then converting that to ethanol, you get nearly 100% sugar to ethanol conversion. Um, so if you're talking about four times the biomass per acre and much higher conversion rate um, into from sugar to ethanol, you can start seeing how a hemp-based renewable fuels program could actually compete uh, with oil um, and petroleum-based chemicals. What is your vision, the future of hemp, and where do you see your business in three years? Uh, Harlan Hemp Company wants to focus on developing um, U.S. and Iowa-based certified seed for hemp, uh, but uh, our long-term vision is to develop a biorefinery uh, here in Iowa, a hemp biorefinery that's going to be processing hemp into uh, from the seeds, separating that into seed cake and oil, or just process uh, or just deholing seeds to sell as hemp parts uh, to the food industry. Uh, processing the flowers in that same facility for essential oils, so CBD and other non-psychoactive cannabinoids, and then processing the entire stock into pulp, sugar, and lignans, uh, and sugars obviously can be used in industrial and food processes. The lignans can be used to develop polymers and plastics, and the pulp can be used for the paper industry or the ethanol industry or a number of other uh, different end uses. So I believe a biorefinery that's diversified like that in its end uses and its products that it offers uh, would be a very sustainable model, especially as a co-op in small towns around Iowa. So you could develop local economies of scale. You know, Iowa could probably support four to six of these types of biorefineries if we're growing enough hemp. 
Uh, and also the beauty of these types of facilities is you don't need just hemp. You can process other types of uh, crop as well. Uh, so uh, in my mind, my long-term vision is to have that hemp biorefinery set up within the next five to ten, five to seven years, and after that, start multiplying on that success. That's quite an undertaking there for you guys. Uh, how can how can people best get involved with industrial hemp, I Hemp Revolution? Um, you know, it's it's not like there's a recruiting agency out there for hemp uh, based jobs. You know, uh, this is one of those uh, interesting markets and interesting uh, businesses where you almost have to be a businessman, an entrepreneur, and an activist at the same time. Because depending on what state you're living in, you may not have hemp even being legal. So then you have to be an entrepreneur and figure out, well, how can I get involved in this market without actually having a state market or anybody in the state involved in it? And that's what I had to do in Iowa. So, uh, you know, if you want to be a part of this, you can be a part of it. That's the beauty. It's growing. And if you can become enough of an expert, if you can um, network enough, if you can understand the issues enough, if you can learn the political process, and if you're truly want to be part of this revolution, then whether where there's a will, there's a way. But in terms of what can you go outside and do right now, no clue. I, I have no idea. Start reading, pick up a few books, and, and start your journey down the rabbit hole like everybody else. I think we all started that way, Boris. Yep. You and I and a bunch of other people. It's education. It's finding out what makes you tick, which one of these things you have an interest in. Well, for me, it really was when I got diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis. And, you know, I, I was with my wife at the time, and we were thinking about having babies. One of the side effects from these um, drugs was you may have birth defects in your children. Um, and I came home with a, bo- with a bottle of 80 pills that I was supposed to take within 30 days. And I told my wife about it, and, and she took them, and she threw them away. Um, and she said, there's no way we're going to do that. We, we're going to have to find another way. And so I had an impetus to really look. And when I discovered CBD, it was on a trip to California, and it literally has changed my life. I mean, just understanding how it works, the fact that it did work uh, for my inflammation and my pain with my arthritis, and then the fact that I've been able to help so many people here suffering from things like childhood epilepsy to to adult epilepsy in Iowa and seeing the results. You know, those types of power, you know, seeing is believing, Coach Reddy, that's powerful. When When you see a lady who's 25 years old who was crippled into a wheelchair for two years, and because of her seizures, and now she's able to walk um, just because of this one natural compound, whereas the you know litany of pharmaceuticals they were throwing at her were literally killing her. Um, you know, it, it changes the way you look at things. And when you learn about hemp sustainable, the, the hemp's role as a sustainable crop, its uh, its ability to reinvigorate our soil, its use in so many things, it's used throughout history. I mean, my mother told me that in Russia that the morning porridge was always a hemp seed-based porridge. You know, she told me that they used the tinctures from flowers to treat a number of childhood illnesses. This is just small-town, rural Russia, I mean, Soviet Union. Yeah. Uh, and they knew about it then, and just the fact that it's been prohibited for the last 80 years, the more you learn about this, the more you see, first of all, a, a huge failure on the, on the part of our leadership and the federal government but more importantly, a huge opportunity. Look at this, 80 years of prohibition, and in those 80 years, we've developed the most sophisticated bioagriculture technology in the entire world, here in Iowa. So imagine if we were able to legalize hemp and apply all of that knowledge to this plant. I've met with Iowa State University scientists. They salivate. They, they, they're, they're, they're drooling, thinking about the possibilities of them 
actually studying and, and, and doing pilot projects and, and, and breeding and, and finding different things they can do with the hemp plant. They're so excited to apply all of the technology to this plant. Um, and so that's part of the thing that really excites me about this industry too. So Boris, thanks for being a guest on the IHAMP Revolution. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Coach Ray. And you can find Boris at his web- website, Heartland Hemp Company. And I want to thank all our listeners for tuning in today and make sure you subscribe to the IHAMP Revolution podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Give us a review. Follow us on Facebook forward slash IHAMP Revolution. Like us and tell your friends. Help us spread the word about the iHemp revolution on Twitter and LinkedIn and how using industrial hemp can benefit people, heal the planet, and provide long-term profit. This is your host, Coach Freddie, inspiring people to do things that inspire them. And thanks for joining the iHemp revolution.